Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Oh God, It Hurts, episode oh three. Oh God, It Hurts. <laughs> Sorry, interrupt. As always, I am JJJ, aka the Six Button Samurai, and I am here with my magnificent friend from across the pond, Game Agent E.T. How are you, Eddie? Pretty good. A little bit rainy, but still kind of dry, hanging in there. How are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, tis the season for that. Um, Tucson actually had its wettest July ever. Nice. So that's you know, good because it's, it's been uh, it's been some seriously wet ass pueblo. Yeah, but yeah. we need it in the old pueblo because it's desert. Uh, right, and we've been having epic drought conditions for like a number of years now, so. The yeah. desert is hella thirsty, and we, we welcome the offering of moisture from the gods. Yeah, that's good to yeah. hear. Um, it's <laughs> kind of the same in Japan, too. Uh, it's a little bit dicey in some parts, but mm-hmm. uh, here in Osaka, it's quite wet, but it's nothing that we're going to have to be worried too much about. Right. Uh, the other parts of Japan, we're having landslides, so... Thankfully, I'm not in an area where I have to worry about that. So, but hopefully, <laughs> uh, people can stay safe uh, in both areas, and we can uh, definitely use the rain to, you know, replenish the crops. Yes, keep so, things growing. Yep. Um, so let's dive right into some water cooler things. The kind of gigantic. Godzilla-like topic sort of crushing everything in its path right now is the Activision Blizzard issue. Um, It's a boycott. It's a lawsuit. It's a dark moment for a company that a lot of gamers hold those games like extremely near and dear to them. I mean, I know plenty of people that love... World of Warcraft and Diablo, Call of Duty, Call of Duty, Overwatch. And so it's a very, very strange and multi-headed animal. Pretty much. (laughs) And there's just sort of a continuing rain of fallout from this thing with even more heads rolling, um, you know, some pretty ugly things being revealed as far as like the Cosby suite. Yeah. Pretty. What are, what are your thoughts on this Eddie? Well, it's good to see people speaking out and Mm -hmm. talking about things that are usually being pushed aside or being buried. Mm -hmm. And especially something uh, in a place as big as Activision Blizzard. Right. Uh, we all know that in a, in our line of hobby, you know, a lot of things are being sacrificed just to make these games, whether mm-hmm. it's severe overtime or other working conditions that are not ideal. Right. But then there's other things that happen, like, uh, as you mentioned, the Cosby suite, a lot of sexual harassment. Uh, mm-hmm. harassment in terms of uh, how people identify or how, you know, it, it's just some things that have been happening for so long, but people 
have have not had the power to do anything about it until now where they're speaking out and they're making a difference now where they're starting to get heard and a lot right. of online websites are reporting these conditions and hopefully there will be some sweeping changes to yeah these type of practices because i mean it it's definitely something that nobody should be working under like you want to be able to feel confident in you, the the company that you're working for knowing that they'll take care of you but it seems like these uh companies they're making money hand over fist yet they're not treating their workers uh you know in, in a fair sense environments in which you know people are going to be comfortable and are going to be able to do their best work. Um, exactly. I think it's interesting that, you know, crunch time has long been an issue in the video game industry. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I have a mutual friend that is an employee at this company. Yep. And we both know that like, um, you know, for a time I was living in Los Angeles in the same city as he, mm-hmm. and like there were periods of months where like, well, I'm not going to get to see that dude because he is in crunch mode and, yeah. you know, probably sleeping at the office, you know, overnight. Exactly. Cranking it out. Um, I find it also really fascinating that at the same time, like, there's a rising tide of conversation in Hollywood about the same kinds of working conditions because, um, you know, it's really kind of the exact same thing where on big movies, television shows, et cetera, like 14 to 16 hour days are absolutely not uncommon, especially like towards the end of a project when you're beginning to finish something up. And it's really, it's really truly asking a lot of human beings, especially when, you know, there's a fair body of established science on how, like, even with crunch time, like you just get to a point of diminishing returns with human beings where if they've been working this many hours, like the next four hours that they spend in front of a screen are maybe like not even not, not nearly as productive as they would be within an hour if they were actually fresh. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. And you know, those issues are definitely thorny and complicated and, you know, it's, it's good that, you know, this lawsuit seems to be a, a catalyst for a lot of much needed change in those realms. Um, yeah. And I hope they do make those changes because how long has it been that the, I mean, ever since video games have started? I mean, I think uh, if you read anything about what happened during the early years of Atari, oh my God, mm-hmm. if you think it's bad now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just well, I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stories about like you know, I think the guy that made ET had to turn that game around like a ridiculously short amount of time, like less than a month. I think I don't know, like six weeks. 
I, f- I forget because it, it sort of blurs with a variety of other tales from the era. It's like the same thing with the guy that had to crank out Pac-Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And, and let's talk. Uh, no, don't forget about the environment that was at that company where it was like it was like a, you know, college frat party every day. Right. I mean, it, it was there's always been this sort of like. You know, the people that tend to push the boundaries of things, especially when a technology or a thing is new, they tend to be the kinds of people that are not the sort of folks that would normally go to like a regular ass office job and work nine to five. You know what I mean? Like they're super motivated. um, And that's absolutely not an excuse for that sort of like, like widespread systemic abuse, like, you know, attempting to force that upon like an entire company's worth of people when very few of the people involved are actually profiting at the rate that those at the very top will, Yeah, you know, is sort of produce the situation that you have writ large at companies like this. So I mean, yeah, it, look at the CEO uh, of uh, Activision Blizzard. How much is he making compared to his, co- you know, his the he people makes working? A lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and embarrassing. I mean, the thing. It's, it's the exact same thing at any of the big like Hollywood studios. Like, yeah, the guy on top that's the face that walks around and does presentations and goes to a bazillion meetings is going to make always going to make a hell of a lot more than the guy like in the pit doing the coding or the guy like worrying about focus on the camera, you know, for an episode of the Mandalorian. So, yeah, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, like it's fascinating, but it's also just kind of a symptom of a much bigger thing. And I think, you know, people are fed up with something and they, they choose to boycott. Um, it's increasingly perceived as like the one legitimate route that you actually have for change. Um, you know, the moment you threaten a company's bottom line, yeah, that's when they begin to perk up and pay attention and listen and go, okay, you know, we need to make some sort of concrete change here. And my personal view is that a lot of this has to do with, technology generally just being so far ahead of legislation. Like, yeah, you have most people that are in Congress and the Senate now that fundamentally do not have like a real solid working understanding of how tech works like in 2021. I think, you know, the last time like Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey got up in front of Congress, like, some of the questions that they got from people that have been in office for a really long time were like genuinely embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like they, they just, were living in caves, right? Right. Oh, well, it's just, you know, like, uh, it makes you wonder, well, like, geez, like how much interaction do these folks actually have with any of this stuff? Or is it just like the army of staffers that sort of, do everything on a day-to-day and then this other person just sort of like glides in like blissfully unaware. I don't know. Like 
it's definitely a very strange time. And I don't think we've ever had a moment where technology is basically being left alone to kind of do what it wants. And it's having all these strange sorts of seismic ripples through everything else in society right now. So, yeah, I know it's a very strange time. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's real long and complicated. And, uh, yeah. I do have one question though on mm-hmm. on this topic. Yeah. Do you think it's effective uh if you boycott let's say uh an Activision Blizzard uh game that you want to get but because of what's happening you decide not to get it or you decide not to play it. Do you think uh doing that as a gamer would help the cause or do you think it's kind of like a moot point? What, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, I think we've seen plenty of evidence that it does actually work. That uh-huh. when people make a lot of noise on social media about a specific thing and there's a threat to a company's bottom line, then you do manage to get their attention. And again, you know, I think it's these sort of tactics are filling the vacuum left by an absence of legislation yeah. um, you know, in these fields. So I do think it is effective, but at the same time, it's like you kind of have to pick and choose your battles with these things. I mean, cause they're usually only effective when you achieve some sort of level of critical mass that gets the attention of, you know, whoever it is that's misbehaving. Yeah. And there's um, also the, uh, the fact that well there's there's people that are there are people that are still working there so mm-hmm. if you decide not to buy the games from that company there's always the argument that well you're not helping the those people that are working there still because well that's the thing i mean i, I yeah. again i i think about that mutual friend of ours you know yeah. what i mean like i want that person to continue to have a job you know what i mean and exactly I that, that person is a very serious, passionate, long time game creative person, you know what I mean? And those people should be employed and should be, you know, in situations where they can best sort of harness their craft and make great things. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, like everything else in this moment, it's, um, it's really genuinely complicated and, you know, it's it's easy to just sort of get lost in the the heat of the moment and sort of be really angry about specific things but you know i think you know everybody should be very conscious about like how their actual actions affect things and not just so much you know retweeting everything you know what i mean like yeah try try and follow the chain of you know your own individual's decisions and the things you choose to support and, you know, whether or not that thing you support is also in line with whatever your own values are. I think that's the best way to do it as well. Just yeah. follow what you think is best. And yeah. yeah, preferably after doing some, you know, <laughs> I hate bringing up the word research because it's like, Mm-hmm. It's it's the thing that's on the tip of like every anti-vaxxer's tongue. <laughs> <You know what laughs> I mean? Yeah, do the research. 
Yeah. Oh, so you watched like three YouTube videos where you're taking a shit. And that's- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't yeah. know anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like you got uh, it's it's hard to trust anyone anymore cuz all right. the re- the sources seemingly. Yeah. <laughs> um so one thing that you and I definitely go back and forth talking about these days is like the sort of state of like digital game libraries and like, Oh yeah. What constitutes ownership in 2021, how the different console manufacturers are approaching this sort of thing. Um, What's your feeling right now as we're still in like year one of PlayStation five, Xbox series S and X and the, continuing saga of the Nintendo Switch. Well, as I said before, I only have a Nintendo Switch for now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I I can only give part of that perspective and I can't right. s- talk about the other two. But mm-hmm. uh, how I felt this whole time is, yeah, I, I'm pretty scared that things are going all digital now because... Mm-hmm. Once things go digital, it's hard to archive things when, Mm -hmm. let's say, for example, there's a game that you really love and suddenly the, the, the environment that the game is on, uh, maybe they have to go out of business. So when that happens, you lose all access to it. The moment that you cannot back it up anymore, let's say you buy a digital title. Right. And then this digital title, especially if you have it on a smartphone, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as the operating system is outdated or the company goes under. Or they move on to a new platform. Yeah. Then it's mm-hmm. gone. And right. yeah, you can't play it anymore. And years from now, you'll be wondering, wow, you know, how am I ever going to play this game again? Because, right. you know, it's uh, going to be increasingly hard to have a game that you could play on command, you know, on demand, I should say. And, right. yeah, it's a little frustrating because nowadays you're only purchasing the rights to play games at this moment. Mm-hmm. You don't have the physical rights to just have this game. And when you take it out, you play it, it's yours. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. It's kind of a frustrating feeling because um, you just want to enjoy the games at your own pace. Right. But nowadays, that's not happening. How do you feel about this situation? Well, yeah, I mean, functionally, it's like before, you know, there's a new Nintendo set of barbells. You buy them, you own them. It's five bucks. The next time out, maybe it's an exercise bike. Maybe, maybe it's a rower. Yeah. Now, like functionally with a lot of these things in particular with game pass, it's like, well, you're buying access to this gymnasium and you get to try out all these things. But you know, the moment your subscription stops, you don't own anything. Yeah. Um, 
And that poses some really, really interesting questions. Um, you know, as far as like the archival thing, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's all kinds of sort of leeway that we are giving to the publishers now that, you know, essentially nothing is assured moving forward. Yeah. Like there's been so many games like from like the PS3, Xbox 360 and Wii generation forward that mm-hmm. have already completely disappeared from the marketplace. Um, yeah. And usually it's for a variety of reasons. Like I can think of some Sega titles like outrun two or um, yep. afterburner climax that the rights because existed of, digitally, but now yeah. have disappeared for different reasons. I know with Outrun specifically, it had to do, mostly to do with the Ferrari license. The stance being taken thus far by the companies, on one level, it fundamentally endorses piracy. It's basically yeah. telling people like somebody out there with a big ass server should just be rolling up all of this shit on a giant hard drive, like for future reference, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, the thing is, it's, it's definitely not just even video games that are suffering from this. I mean, uh, yeah, music, television, movies, you know, I'm still a person that regularly purchases physical media on a regular basis because like, The idea that on a given day, like I could want to watch one of my favorite films and I could turn to my streaming outlet and it could just not be there. And therefore I can't watch it. Yeah. That's an absolutely maddening proposition to me. So that Uh, sort of motivates my continued purchases. But at the same time, I realized that like those releases are growing Fewer and further between. Yeah, because it's like that analogy that you just brought up. It's like the gym that you go to. It's a membership Mm -hmm. only. You don't own anything. And you don't have the ability to even, uh, in terms of games, have some sort of physical way to like uh, archive it. (laughs) Right. That's all on the server side. Mm -hmm. So once it's gone, that's it. You're right. never going to see it again unless they decide yeah. to bring it out again, which mm-hmm. like we talked about some companies when they go under, uh, unless another company buys the rights to that particular company and decides to bring out that game again, it, right. it's gone with the wind. Mm-hmm. So that's why, yeah, it, it's a nightmare for most gamers because the game that they, maybe it's an obscure title that they cherished they may not be able to play it again because of those circumstances. And also think about uh, people who worked on those games, mm-hmm. how they would feel when I, you know, you can imagine someone who worked hard on something. They want as many people po- as possible to appreciate it. Right. But in this digital age, when things, especially mobile games, maybe they last only one year before they get pulled you you see that quite often now Mm -hmm. and once that happens how do you feel as a developer or as a a person that's worked on like the art of that game or helped with the programming you did all that work 
and it's gone in a flash and you have nothing to show for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. No, again, it, it really feels like a situation that's just overwhelmingly tilted in favor of the publisher and pretty much no one else. Yeah. Not for the gamers and not for the people that worked on them. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you being the longtime Nintendo Switch aficionado, like, yeah. What kind of report card would you give Nintendo on this particular issue at this point? I would give them probably a D because okay. what they're doing right now is is a little bit worse than what they did before. Uh, if you remember with the 3DS and the Wii and the Wii U, they had the virtual console, right? right. Where you can buy uh, any select games that they had to offer. You can choose mm-hmm. which ones to buy, just pay the price, and then as long as you keep your console, you can have that game on your on your system, right? Right. But now with the Switch, Nintendo Switch, they have the Nintendo Switch online service where uh, in the beginning, when they talked about it, people were thinking, oh my God, this is going to be like Netflix, where you can have whatever titles that they have to offer, and you can play it unlimited unlimited until the service runs out uh, until you decide to stop paying for the service or until they decide to close up shop, you know, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately there's a lot of things that Nintendo has not done very well, even worse Mm -hmm. than the virtual console. And one is uh, they have continued to do the drip feed system where they would only release maybe a three or four titles at most Mm -hmm every one month but nowadays it's more like two or three months which is not some real questionable titles (laughs) yes that was the other thing the quality of the titles okay let me tell you about the recent offerings right uh the three recent offerings were claymates from interplay for super nintendo Mm -hmm. some people liked it but it's not really a game that most people you know, have that nostalgic twang for that they right. Know. I mean, it doesn't even have the gravitas of say clay fighters. Yeah, even <laughs> yeah. clay fighters would be better. You know, I right. love clay fighters, but claymates, <laughs> yeah, you know. And then yeah. there's also uh, the game Kablooey, which is a uh, kind of a puzzle game where you're right. setting off bombs, and <laughs> it's uh, it's worth. <laughs> You know, a, 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 a play, but a, it's a weekend rental at best. Yeah, but it's not <laughs> something where it's like, wow, this is the epitome of what Super Nintendo was or could have been. Right. Right. And then the last one is a game called Jelly Boy, which is a game that was not released in North American territories. It was released in Europe. It was mm-hmm. released under the company Ocean. And Jelly Boy, if you can get this, is a kind of a strange game where you're, I don't know if you're made of jelly or not, but you're definitely uh, elastic. And you, when you do attacks, you kind of form like a little fist out of your stomach, which kind of looks awkward on screen. So I believe, um, I don't know what, who decided <laughs> to bring that game out right. <laughs> along with these other two. But yeah, definitely it was not 
something that people were anticipating, nor were they imagining like, oh, th- this is what it should be. Nintendo Switch Online. No, it's like the worst. Well, that was the thing. I mean, given the really high number of titles that were available on the virtual console. Yep. I think everyone's expectations were framed by that. Yeah. And given what's happened so far with this, where, you know, I think between the SNES and NES offerings, it's Mm -hmm. like around 50 games total. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And I know part of the, like the, the unspoken thing here is that I think since virtual console, mm-hmm. every other like major third party publisher of classic games from the NES and SNES era has mm-hmm. gone, Oh shit, we can, we should just be selling our own comps of this stuff. Like we don't need to give those to Nintendo for like a handful of magic beans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is be- why you've seen like, you know, the Konami Castlevania and Contra compilations. Yeah. Square's done a bunch of compilations of their stuff. Um, and good for Adam's them. also churned out like all the Mega Man stuff. So that's good for them. But, yeah. and the thing is, we don't know like what dimension those discussions have taken. I mean, we yeah. can infer that basically Nintendo kind of doesn't care. But they should care because there's a lot of sleepers that are on those two systems, let alone other systems that they have made over the years, Nintendo 64, GameCube, whatnot. But basically what they should do is maybe bring in some titles that were kind of sleepers back in the day that didn't get much attention, but they're great from you know, yeah, for- and I mean, there's a few things that sort of fit the bill like that. Like, I can think of like, um, is it Shadow of the Ninja? That's NES? already on there. That's already on the NES, right? Side. But I, I think yeah. of that as like that was a cool game that was not like the name brand Ninja game, which I think most of us probably agree was Ninja Gaiden. Yeah, exactly, um, and yeah. They so also- there are games like that to be found. I think you're absolutely right. But recently, they have not done that. That's what I'm trying to bring up. Yeah. And no, not, definitely. And there's a lot of untapped potential because, you know, during the, you know, during the end cycle of these two systems, there were games that were really, really good. Like, uh, if you remember uh, Little Samson for mm-hmm. NES or Kickmaster. Which Master. is a stupidly expensive game now. Yeah. yeah. Games that, oh my God cost thousands of dollars now why right. don't you bring those games on to nso or a well, game that's the like, thing. i mean it, yeah. it feels like a hugely missed opportunity exactly and you know, like yeah and they could easily negotiate with these uh partners and say hey listen you know maybe if we do this uh maybe this will bring more exposure to this series that maybe you want to revive in the future or just your brand, you know? Yeah. Kind of show that, Hey, we had a pretty good range of games that nobody knew about, but now you can with Nintendo switch online. And it's, you know, it kind of works for both parties because some parties think, "Uh, I don't know if I want to bring that out, you know, 
as a retro mm-hmm. title, why don't you put it on Nintendo Switch Online then? You know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. there you go. Um, okay. So Nintendo gets a D for this. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I think that's actually fair. I think in particular, because there's so much, like, there's so much the gatekeeper of what we think of as far as like classic gaming, like yeah. classic gaming being framed so much by like that experience of like the NES, the super NES. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even with what they did on virtual console, where they had all these other console makers offerings, I mean, to have Genesis and turbo graphics games, a variety of um, arcade titles on there as well. Yeah. That was really, really cool. And that was like, that was an opportunity for them to brand themselves as like, hey, we're the keepers of this history because we're the ones that reignited the console market in the first place. Yeah, the Wii so, was really popular because of that. Right. So I think that's a like a genuinely missed opportunity yep. for them to almost frame that whole thing. You know, they could be like the criterion of classic gaming. Yeah, you know where they present these things, and it would even—I mean, there's so there would be so much opportunity for them to even do like they could do like a weekly show about the titles that are out and like why you should play this, like why is this old game relevant to something that's like on the shelf now as like a current Switch offering. Like, there, there's so many different ways that they could slice that and. Yeah, you know, I, I I agree that they get a D for doing just the bare minimum. Yeah, because it hurts. Like you look at a game like Smash Brothers, where it's like mm-hmm. a walking encyclopedia of just games in general, because right. of all the history, mm-hmm. the combined histories of certain companies are mm-hmm. all in that game. Yep, and they've shown that they have that knowledge. Why don't you do that mm-hmm. to? Your NSO. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it clearly just became like a. It's like a plant nobody likes very much there, and just waters it like just enough to have it not die. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like but it's in not, reality, getting, it's it's not a, getting enough sunlight or enough water. Or yeah, food, but it's it like hasn't died yet. But it can grow into a beanstalk. <laughs> That's all right. I'm saying. I mean, they you, just don't yeah, see that potential. Think, yeah, we both understand that. Like, it could be so much more than it is, than what it is. Um, yeah. So Sony mm-hmm. recently came under a lot of heat because they were poised to close down the PlayStation Three and PSP and Vita stores. Yeah, the Vita caused- stores too. A huge uproar. Yep. Um, Yeah. And again, it's, it's problematic for so many of the same reasons that like you have lots of people that sunk so much money into their own digital libraries on those machines. Yep. And I understand that like maintaining those things forever also isn't entirely practical. Yeah. But at the same time, like if you have all these people that have sunk money into a thing and you're fundamentally telling them that it's no longer worth anything, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And it's not even just a problem for those legacy machines. 
It's a problem when you've got a digital version of your PlayStation 5 without a disk drive on the shelf. Yep. And somebody goes, well, wait a minute. Like, do I want to buy that machine and sink a bunch of money into digital offerings? And then eight years from now, like, just be told, that eh, doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it's a paperweight. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, don't sell it if you don't want to lose your games because there's no yeah. way to transfer them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know. Like, they definitely deserve down marks for that. I would actually applaud them, though, for having the PlayStation 4 physical titles be completely playable through the PS5. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it has to do with those two machines having a hell of a lot more in common in terms of architecture. Yeah. And also, um, Sony has had a history of trying to push back on backwards compatibility for a while. They, they right. were just reluctant to do that. Well, it's funny because, like, from PlayStation 1 to 2, like, yeah. everybody was absolutely in love with the way they executed that. I mean, the fact that all of your old games could then be played on the new machine, they could be played looking better by way of a machine that actually had component out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and then they tried to replicate the same thing with PlayStation three, but it was just like, it was so insanely expensive for them to engineer this Frankenstein monstrosity that had a cell CPU and the ability to still do all of that stuff. Like it just became, unwieldy for them and they were kind of losing right out of the gate against Microsoft. So yeah, because they just weren't setting up for, you know, preserving those things in the future. Right. They Mm -hmm. were just concerned about, Hey, let's make the biggest, baddest thing on the planet. Right. Yeah. But what about Microsoft? You know, Microsoft is a really interesting it's an interesting thing that they have going. And I would argue that fundamentally it's born out of, I don't know. I have this, I have this theory about console generations where it's like, nobody ever wins like more than two in a row. Yeah. And the odds are, if you won the last one, you're probably going to lose the next one because at some level, like you're getting cocky about it. Yeah. And, you know, Microsoft's Xbox 360 was extraordinarily successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. You know, it really brought their live service into maturity. Um, it had a fantastic digital library of games. There were all kinds of great classic games or remakes or original things. Um the big problem was that in, you know, earlier in like 2012, 2013, they got into a really funny place where they imagined that consoles themselves were probably dying off. Yeah. And that mobile gaming was making these inroads and that it was more important to tie the next machine to television. Yeah. Like your, your smart, you know, second screen, like, all this kind of bullshit that wasn't really, you know, paying proper service to like gaming 
you know, that machine became about all these other things and they really stumbled out of the gate with, you know, not having backwards compatibility, requiring this always on online connection to be able to play things and then having the connect built, you know, coming within the uh, very first offering of the console. So yeah, I, I do remember the uh, always online thing. That was mm-hmm. a huge controversy. Right. And so they pretty much spent the entirety of the last generation like trying to mend those fences and trying to win a lot of their audience back who who drifted away. Um, so it's interesting that now at the dawn of this console generation with Series S and X, yeah. Like, you know, backwards compatibility continues to be like a priority for them. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of 360 titles that are playable like today. If you yeah, know, on the and that that's, that's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. I that's probably the reason why I would get a Xbox Series X over a PS5 now because. Right. I have a lot of 360 titles that I have not yeah. touched in years, but I know that once I get a Xbox Series X, I can probably get those titles again. I know you and just want to awesome. get your filthy mitts back on Pac-Man Championship Edition. Oh, yeah. That's one You're of my favorite back. games. I miss it so much. <laughs> yeah. You know me too well. But oh, yeah. well, no, it's, see, a, it's a bloody magnificent game. I mean, it is. Not on the bush. Yeah. I still think it's one of the best Pac-Man games, if not the best Pac-Man game. But I think basically Microsoft, because of their experience with operating systems, mm-hmm. this really helped them when it came to backwards compatibility and making sure that each iteration of their new systems could right. you know, support these uh, older games because of the way they could... Uh, have like this really nice architecture where it didn't dramatically change. Like uh, what we talked about with Sony with Mm -hmm. the jump from PlayStation two to PlayStation three. And then who knows after that. And then also we've heard a lot of reports from developers saying, yeah, PlayStation systems are so hard to develop on compared Mm -hmm. to Microsoft and Microsoft always keeps that environment. I wouldn't say literally the same, but friendly enough that as it grows it's not going to change to the point where you'd have to recode everything just to have it an older game on a newer system Mm -hmm. so yeah that's why i think it really really helps them and who knows we'll see what happens this generation of systems but i think no i mean it's, it's, it's a really really strange one to watch unfold because it's like it yeah. still feels fundamentally like the launch that should not have happened, but you know, because uh, I, I, yeah, but I, mean, it's I would a, argue like neither of those machines had any business dropping last year. Yeah. Especially from like a software standpoint. Yeah. Like neither of them had that thing that was really like, Oh, this is the experience you can only have on this machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's getting harder and harder to distinguish, but yeah, right. Well, so I don't know. It it will be good. It will be interesting to see that evolve, especially like 
<laughs> once more friggin' consoles are actually available and on the shelf. Yeah. Know? But um, we all know most people that still like, it's still a real uphill battle to like even find one. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the threat of cloud gaming where people feel that that's where console gaming is going to head. So right. we probably should enjoy these last consoles while we still can before they become just one box that you would probably have forever and ever, which sounds great, but <laughs> it has its drawbacks like we just mentioned before, especially with the whole digital uh, environment. For sure. Yeah. Whew, man, we uh, we drank deep from the water cooler this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But it was something that, you know, it's always good to talk about because we're always concerned about the future of video games. So yep. times changed a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, what are you playing right now, Ed? Well, um, as you know, uh, I play, I've been playing a part-time UFO, uh, but there's another game that is similar to it. Uh, I seem to like a lot of these puzzle games that have achievements. Uh, this one I'm playing as well is called Good Job. And okay. it's a Nintendo Switch only game. And it's made from a Dutch company called Paladin Games. Mm -hmm. And basically, you're a son of a CEO. And... You are tasked with uh, helping out your father in his uh, in his uh, office building. So okay. it, it's, you know, pretty simple things that you have to do. Like, oh, get this projector into this one room. And so you can do like it gameplay wise. Well, it's fun because the environments uh, they you can uh, totally destroy them in order to achieve your goal which nice. is very cathartic if you're having a bad day. And mm -hmm. I love playing those type of games just to get, you know, my frustrations out. Or you can go for the major challenge where you try to do the goal as fast as you can without breaking anything. And then that's where you get the uh, S ranking. So I love those type of games. And at the same time, sometimes when... Uh, stage is a little difficult you might want to take some time to you know take a break from it <laughs> so nice. that's what I'm playing right now awesome. uh, great game I highly recommend it how about you James excellent um, so I continue um, my uh, tour of unfinished business um, I've been playing some more Yoshi's Island I'm presently yeah. at level 6 five. Ooh. So I've got like four stages left. Nice. Um, six, five is a real pain in the ass though, because it's one of those underground auto scrolling affairs with lots of lava and the flaming fly guys that come running at you from nowhere. Yeah. So, I, I, I vaguely remember, <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah, it's been a long time, but yep. are you, so, are you just <laughs> playing through the stages? Uh, no matter what score you get or you do the to, thing. Yeah. When I originally played this, I had the import cartridge mm -hmm. and that's actually what I'm playing right now. Yeah. However, my appreciation for my appreciation for this game has grown so much mm -hmm. that I think when I beat this cartridge, um, 
I'm going to wind up playing the U.S. version afterwards, and that'll be the one that I try to 100. Ah, uh, okay. So you're yeah. just uh, having the fun experience of playing this game right now. Yeah, I just want to beat it right now. Oh, good. I don't know. See, that's also that's always been a difference between us is like you take a shine to games and then you really want that like 100%. Yep. You're definitely a completionist. Definitely. I have always had so many like running interests at a given time that like very seldom have I like gone complete 100% on any game like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I think part of it, like it's almost like a philosophical choice on my behalf. It's like, okay, if I never get everything in a game that mm-hmm. I enjoy, yeah, then there's always a reason to go back. Yeah. Whereas if I 100% a thing, I might just be like, I never need to look at that thing ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I don't know. Like it definitely swings either way, but I definitely like, I've always had that appreciation for your, like, you know, if you really lock into something, then you want to absolutely crush the thing. Yeah, exactly. But (laughs) you know, I, I have my limits, you know, like I don't do that for some RPGs because that's just way too much time. Oh, it's such (laughs) a time suck with a lot of those things. Yeah. But games with, you know, puzzle elements that, you know, those are the ones I really want to a hundred percent basically. Right. But yeah. All right. Nice. So at last we've landed at our last segment which is the big question yeah and this week's the big question is if you could go back in time mm-hmm. what game would you play and finish while it was new hmm this is a kind of a weird answer but hear okay. me out on this but it's, out, it, it, it's not really a game that you can finish but okay. it's just the uh, experience of the game that I really wanted to uh, have that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, if you know this game called The Grid by Midway. Okay. It was an arcade game that had linked cabinets. And it was one of the first games that you could play competitively with other people as a you know a first person shooter game and it had like right. a game show type of uh theme okay. kind of like uh smash tv right okay well back in the day I, I i think you know uh the only place i've seen it at in tucson was gold mine do you remember that arcade well i just i remember that was a very large and expensive cabinet so it just yeah. it wasn't bound to be in a lot of places particularly in tucson yeah so I saw that game, right? And I was like, mm-hmm. me, I, me no habla this, you know? I don't speak right. this language. I don't know mm-hmm. this game. Uh, I don't know how to... Uh, the controls were intimidating. And I was like, I, I don't see the appeal of it. But then when I started playing games like Halo with you and the boys, you know, mm-hmm. I started right. to really appreciate these first-person shooter games that... right. I occasionally play from time to time. I played a lot of Overwatch. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. a expert at it, but I loved the game. But yeah. yeah, I wish I could have at least played this game to the point where I was pretty decent at it because I never touched the grid. 
but that was one of the uh, best ways to play that sort of game if you are not on a PC and playing something like Quake 3 Arena or Unreal Tournament, which at the time those games, well, not only did I have no interest in, but my computer couldn't run it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So, So I think, yeah, I would have loved to try that out back in the day. That's cool. That's a really interesting and like deep cut that I'd imagine. Yeah. If you mention that game to most gamers, like they're not going to recall what that was, but I distinctly remember that cabinet. And if anything, when I think about that game, like conceptually, like that really feels like something that would work like as a reboot kind of thing. Yeah, it would. Especially you know, now that you can play online. Given what, yeah, given what consoles are capable of now. Yeah. Yeah. So, how about nice. you? Nice deep cut. Thank you. <laughs> um, mine is a far simpler thing, um, far more obvious. Um, so, at the time Final Fantasy VII came out, yeah, I was not thrilled with it. Mm. Um, I was actually a really early adopter of PlayStation hardware. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I was loving the hell out of Ridge Racer, yep. loving the hell out of Wipeout, yeah, I, Jumping Flash. Like, yep. I loved a lot of the early games that were on that console. I had seen the demo of Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. And, like, you know, I was already, like, hook, line, and sinker sold on JRPGs because of all the games that I played on Super NES. So yeah. I was really into the US version of Final Fantasy 2. Um, I imported 5, which I did not complete, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was enjoyable nonetheless. What about um, 6? 6 I played and enjoyed the hell out of. Mm, okay. Um, but to me, like there were so many compromises being made in my eyes that were sort of a detriment, like gameplay wise, like, and even visually, like I wasn't in love with like the chibi 3d models that you would use when you were like, you know, traversing the world. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the load times. Like there were a lot of things that I was just like, fuck this you know what i mean in my you know salty younger punk ass way about it yeah and of course like you know that game has gone on to become like a completely established classic you know so much so that you know for years everybody was just absolutely dying for a remake of that game to show up which of course it finally did Mm -hmm. um so i don't know like I wish that I could have the same affinity that other people do for that game. But at the same time, I'm just like, well, if I was sort of predisposed against it by way of the experiences that I'd already had from that genre, like, I don't even know if that was possible, you know? Yeah. But maybe if I had given it a chance at the time and just sort of been like, okay, like this is their new thing and we're just going to roll with it and see how it goes, you know? The big problem, though, at the time was that there were so many other people playing it that, like, 
I had a number of things spoiled for me within like six months of when that game dropped. Yeah, the hype train is always uh, damaging to a game when right. it's like you play it, but at the same time, people are hyping it up so much or talking about the story, you kind of lose a lot of interest. Right. Including like what's arguably like the biggest spoiler about that game is, you know. Yeah, we won't say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, Too soon. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, um, I kind of wish that I had played that in the moment and just sort of been like, all right, like, we're going to see what this is about. Let's just plug into it. But, yeah, I, I was, uh, there were just like, too many yeah, games at yeah. the time, and I was still too much of a fighting game junkie to, like, really. Oh, yeah, same here. Same here. Slow down and just give that its proper due. So, but I wish yeah. I had. Yeah. I, I was lucky I actually did play Final Fantasy VII during that yeah. time. And to be honest, I finished it and I was like, eh, the ending <laughs> sucked. <laughs> it fell apart after the second disc and I was like, oh God, I'm glad I played it, but nah, I don't think it's that great. That's my opinion. Okay. That's that's okay. my, uh, yeah, hot take on it. <laughs> no, no one's going to agree with me, but yeah. What would you say your favorite Final Fantasy game is then? To be honest... Because this is my dirty secret. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't played Final Fantasy five or six <laughs> extensively. Uh-huh. Okay. So that that's a topic for another time, I would imagine. But my favorite yeah. Final Fantasy game would have to be number ten. Okay. Because wow, the story a, the story was a, a little bit better. Choice. Yeah. But I like the characters. Uh my favorite was Waka. <laughs> Right. Because of his accent. I remember how much you yeah, that's right. You were you were I, all up on that game. I put over a hundred hours on that game. And I wow. loved the story. Okay. And yeah, I had a great time. Nice. I didn't hundred percent it, but I tried to. <laughs> right. But it was great. Um X two is a different story, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh Right on, man. Well, this has been <laughs> another delightful episode of Oh God, It Hurts! Oh God, It Hurts! Ah, talking retro and what's happening now and how it's all just one big stream of consciousness. Good to yeah. talk with you again, Eddie. Thank you for having me again. And uh, yeah, uh, if you want to reach me, uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, GameAgent18, uh, E.T., sorry. And yep. James. And you can find me at Super Barrio Kart on Instagram. Peace. Later. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com.